2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted. I'll just keep looking right here. With the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what three questions, what three questions should you ask when choosing a church? You know, Kevin told me at least one of those questions should be, how's their coffee? And that is a very important question to answer. So, well, Samuel's already got up there because I think I forgot to put a blank slide before it. The three questions. So when I teach the Next Step membership class, I refer to a article from the Gospel Coalition website titled, Three Questions to Ask When Choosing a Church. And the three questions that this author says are, what do they believe, how do they behave, and what should I do? When choosing a fellowship and to become a part of a fellowship, the three questions you should ask is, what do they believe, how do they behave, and what should I do? And I bring this up because I feel like these are three good questions as we're at the start of a new year. As we begin 2020 together, these are three key questions for us to consider together. And so that's what we're going to do over the course of the next few weeks. Today, we're going to talk briefly about what it is that we believe. What do we believe as a fellowship? And then in two weeks, on the 24th, we're going to talk about how do we behave. And and then a week after that, on the 31st, what should we do? Now, the astute amongst you will notice I skipped next week, which is the 17th, because as Kevin has told you, we do, um, we do have a guest who's coming from Zoe Women's Center, Leah Carl, who's going to be speaking to us about the ministry of Zoe Central Center. And I'm going to be preaching and speaking specifically to the subject of the day, which is Sanctity of Life. Because next Sunday is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so it's, it's fortuitous, it's providential that Leah is coming to give us an update on the activities of Zoe Center, which used to be CareNet in Rockland, on this day. We're going to start the Baby Bottle Blessing Drive, which will bless the CareNet, the, the, CareNet, the Zoe Women's Center. We'll hear an update, and we're going to talk about the sacredness of life. So friends, don't miss next Sundays. It's going to be a wonderful time for us to come together and to celebrate that life is sacred. And what does that mean for us? Well, that's next week. Last week, our friend Rich Wellman, while I was gone, did a great job starting us off asking the question of identity. Where is our identity found? And friends, our identity is found in Christ. And these three questions that we're going to discuss, what do we believe, how do we behave, what should I do, these are all identity questions. They're all identity questions. I mean, they're the practical working out of what it means to find our identity as followers of Christ. It's the practical working out of our identity as a church. What do we believe? How do we behave? And what should I, as part of this whole, do? 
Now, just a little later this year, we're going to study together the letter of 2 Timothy. And this was the Apostle Paul's final letter. It was Paul's final will and testament. It was one last opportunity that the Apostle Paul had to charge young Timothy and to give instructions to the early church. And there's so much wisdom in this letter for us today. And I look forward to us studying it together. But just as Kathleen read for us this morning from 2 Timothy, these are some of Paul's final words to Timothy, verse 14, chapter 3, verse 14. As for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. Belief. That's what we're talking about today, belief. And Paul, in some of the final words, in his last letter, these aren't wasted words. If you know that your life is coming to an end and your time is short and you have maybe one more chance to communicate to the man who's going to be your successor, what are you going to say? Sure, you're not going to talk about the weather. These are key words. And he says, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and firmly believed. Because, friends, our belief is foundational and it's formational. Your belief is foundational and it's formational. It's your foundation and it forms you. It is part of your identity. And so Paul says, Timothy, your identity and your ministry are found in your belief. So hold on. Continue in what you believed from the beginning. You know, there's a very dangerous sentiment that's circulating today, and I'm sure you've heard it. There's an idea out there that beliefs are really just opinions and they're really, they're really just kind of unimportant spectators in the game of life. You know, your belief might kind of cheer you on and encourage you, but it's really unimportant to the outcome of the game. You know, you probably heard it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. You ever heard that one? It's garbage. Your beliefs are not just spectators on the sideline of your life just kind of cheering you on. Your, your, your beliefs are the coach. They are actively directing the game. They're changing the play. They're affecting the strategy. Your beliefs are the foundation and their formation. They're foundational and they're formational. Your beliefs, they motivate you. They direct you. They shape you. They mold you. They make you. And so the question of what you believe is one of the most important questions to ask yourself when it comes to this question of identity. Working out our identity as followers of Christ, as Rich started us talking about last week, starts with the question of what we believe. You know, Pastor John Ortberg said, in the act of defining what we believe, we define ourselves. In the act of defining what we believe, we define ourselves. Because, friends, what you believe will not just guide your actions. What you believe will form your identity. You know, almost 30 years ago, Christian musician Rich Mullins beautifully expressed this in his song, Creed. Mullins sang for us, And I believe what I believe is what makes me what I am. I did not make it. No, it is making me. I did not make it. No, it is making me. Our beliefs are making us. They are active. They're important. They're essential. They're not spectators on the sideline. We believe is foundational and formational to our identity, to who we are. 
So what do we believe is the first question we're going to consider together this year as individuals, but also as a corporate community. What do we believe? Well, if you're to look at our our church constitution, which is the foundational document around which we come together, after an opening preamble that sketches the history of Chestnut Street Baptist Church, Article 2 of our church constitution is our statement of faith. Because, as we said, after the question of how is their coffee, the next most important question is what do they believe? And we answer the coffee question in the preamble. Now, it may make you all look, huh? And as a preview of coming attractions, Article 3 of our church constitution is our church covenant, which is designed to answer the question, how do we behave? What, what does the outflow of our life in Christ look like as we interact with one another and with this world? So we're looking at what do we believe? How do we behave today? What do we believe? And considering our statement of faith, what do we believe? Because I believe what I believe and it makes me what I am. Now, obviously, one Sunday, one Sunday is wholly inadequate to explore the intricacies of our statement of faith. So this morning, we're simply going to consider the two summary statements of our belief that we have sung or read already this morning. This morning in worship, we read together the Apostles' Creed, which we then sang together in the song, We Believe. Now, the Apostles' Creed is a good summary, not only of our church's statement of faith, but a wonderful summary of historically Orthodox Christian belief. Chestnut Street Baptist Church's statement of faith, if you study it, expands upon, but does not deviate from, the Apostles' Creed. It's a good summary of what we believe. The Creed is a great start. And I would ask you, as you come into this year and as you consider your role and your part as a member of our church, do you know what we believe? Are you familiar with our statement of faith? Do you know what you believe? Because this year, 2021, is a time to fortify and to solidify your beliefs. Because your beliefs are not mere spectators. Your beliefs will make you who you are. They will affect how you live how you interact with others, how you interact with God, they'll affect that which you do and that from which you abstain, that which you celebrate and that which you reject. I believe what I believe, and it's what makes me what I am. So, friends, do you know what we believe as a church and what we say we believe in membership? Can you articulate what you believe? You know, well, this morning in the short time that we have together, I'm not going to go in depth into the statement of faith, but I really want to spend some time actually on the second summary of what we believe that we sang together. And unfortunately, had a little bit of snag, um, technical glitch with the words, the Reformation hymn. You know, October 31st, 1517 was a date that tradition says a monk by the name of Martin Luther nailed 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church Castle. And he unintentionally started a movement A movement that completely changed the world and still affects us today. A movement that you've heard of as the Protestant Reformation. Now, in October of 2017, which was the 500th anniversary of Luther nailing his 95 theses, we learned the song that we sang this morning, the Reformation Hymn. You see, these these theses were 95 ideas that attacked the Catholic Church's corrupt practice of selling indulgences to absolve and forgive sin. His theses propounded two central beliefs. One, Scripture alone is the central religious um, authority 
And that two, salvation is by faith alone, not by our works. That, that was the central two arguments of his 95 Theses. And in June of 1520, the Catholic Pope Leo X condemned 41 of Luther's 95 Theses and gave Luther and said, hey, here's your chance. Time to recant. Take it back. Renounce these propositions and everything will be okay. And in response, Luther publicly burned the papal edict and he refused to recant. So much for relations. And as such, Luther was excommunicated from the Roman Catholic Church 500 years ago last Sunday. January the 3rd of 1521. Did you know that? Last Sunday? Last Sunday was the 500-year anniversary of Martin Luther's excommunication from the Catholic Church. The cementing of the Protestant Reformation. Now, what Martin Luther and the Reformers who followed him uncovered was for the world was the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel had never actually been lost to the church. But the majority of people in Luther's day, for them, the gospel had been obscured by layers and layers of church tradition. It had been distorted by the scholastic theology of the day. It had been twisted by human corruption. So Luther and the Reformers uncovered and untwisted the gospel so that it could be clearly seen, joyfully embraced, and widely understood by the common person. And what happened? A revolution of grace. A revolution of grace that we call the Protestant Reformation. It reformed the church. It reformed the people of God. And it is still reforming us today. A revolution of grace. And the truths of the gospel as articulated by Luther and the other reformers were eventually summarized into what we sang this morning. The five solas of the Reformation. Now, sola is a Latin word meaning alone, as I hope my boys who've now studied multiple years of Latin can tell you. Sola is a Latin word meaning alone, and these slogans summarize the doctrines that were not imposed upon, but were discovered within the scriptures. They're central to the doctrine of salvation, the heart of Christianity. And so 500 years after Luther's excommunication, it's worth considering, they're worth considering as we consider what we believe as you consider what you believe. And the five solas, as you see on the screen, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Sola fide, faith alone. Sola gratia, grace alone. Solus Christus, Christ alone. And soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. So first, sola scriptura, scripture alone. You know, the gospel, it was hard to see in Luther's day because it had been obscured by layers of tradition distorted by the popular culture and the, the, the thought leaders of the day. The gospel had been twisted by corrupt teachers who were eager for personal gain. So Luther and the Reformers came forth declaring, Scripture alone has got to be our final authority. As we sang this morning, we will trust God's Word alone, where His perfect will is known. Our traditions shift like sand, while His truth forever stands. Friends, we believe that Scripture alone is our final and our ultimate authority. Every tradition or human teacher must be evaluated in its light. You know, when Paul wrote to Timothy in the passage that Kathleen read for us this morning, Paul pleaded with Timothy to continue in what he believed and to rest on the ultimate authority of the Scripture, for all Scripture is breathed out by God 
and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Scripture alone is the breathed out word of God. So Scripture alone must be our final and our ultimate authority. Now, why is it important that you and I believe that today? What difference does that make? Friends, like in Luther's time, we need to recognize that we currently, as a culture, and sadly, often as a church, suffer from biblical illiteracy. Before Martin Luther came and translated the Bible into German, the Bible was in Latin, and the common person couldn't read it. And so just like in our day, instead of reading the Bible for themselves, people were simply trusting the thought leaders of the day to tell them what was in the Bible. But church, sola scriptura calls us back to the scriptures. Don't believe every new wave of teaching that comes across. Don't believe every novel interpretation. Don't believe every teacher. Don't believe everything Adam tells you. Go back to the scripture and see for yourself. And if I or any other teacher tell you something that is not in line with the Scripture, reject it. Because Scripture is the authority. Not Adam. And not any other teacher. So church, in this day, if we're going to reclaim this doctrine of Scripture alone and the authority of Scripture, we need to combat the scandal of biblical illiteracy. Church, we need to take up our Bibles and read. Do you know what you believe? Do you know what's in the Scripture that is to form what you believe? You know, the beginning of the new year is a time when many people commit or recommit to a habit of reading God's Word. Because, friends, your belief and your life cannot be shaped by that which you do not know. Your belief and your life will not be formed by that which you do not know. When Paul wrote to Timothy to continue in what he believed, you notice he immediately pointed Timothy back to the Word of God. Friends, what are you allowing yourself to be informed and formed by? We're all doing it. Every day you're reading. Every day you're watching. Every day you're listening. Every day you are informing yourself. And that information is also forming you. Are you being informed by and formed by the Scripture? You know, let me offer a caution, though, as we talk about this. Sola Scriptura doesn't mean solo Scriptura. Scripture alone doesn't mean Scripture only or Scripture interpreted alone. Because the other danger in our culture is Jesus and me thinking. I'm just going to take my Bible off alone and I'm going to me and Jesus, and I'll come up with all kinds of novel and new understandings and interpretation of Scripture. Many have done it, and many have destroyed themselves and those that followed them. Friends, Scripture remains the ultimate and the final authority. But there are lesser authorities. Confessions, creeds, theologians, church elders, and teachers that can help us rightly understand and interpret Scripture. But all of these must submit themselves to the Word of God. You see, the Bible is a communal document, friends. It was written by a community, over 40 authors. 
The Bible forms a community. It brings us together and we come together and we study it. And it's to be read and understood in a community. The Scripture is for the community. So Scripture alone does not mean Scripture interpreted alone. We need the Scripture and we need one another, the community of faith, as we study the Scriptures. And those are dangers, but friends, the real danger that we need to talk about and why this doctrine of Scripture alone is so important for us today is because we don't consider the Bible to be the ultimate authority. We might say it. We might articulate, oh yeah, the Scripture is the ultimate authority in faith and in life and in practice. But friends, too often we submit our life and our decisions to other authorities. We're tempted to try to submit and conform the Scripture to other authorities, to the thought leaders of the day or to the shifting cultural norms of our day. We're tempted to bend Scripture's teaching to society's understanding of human sexuality, identity, of race relations, of refugees, and more. Friends, if Scripture alone is the ultimate authority, everything must be submitted to it. Are you willing to be seen as standing on the wrong side of history because you submit to an authority greater than the intelligentsia of the day? greater than the culture of the day, greater than any individual desire, greater than the ever-shifting sands of public opinion? Scripture alone is a question of authority. Church, who or what do you believe is the ultimate authority? And that question will affect everything about your life and your actions. I believe what I believe, and it's what makes me what I am. So friends, what do you believe about Scripture and about authority? Now, when Martin Luther turned and he submitted to the ultimate authority of Scripture alone, what he found in the Scripture changed his life, and it changed the course of history. Now, Luther had a very sensitive, maybe even an overactive conscience, Some today might have called him obsessive or even a bit neurotic. You know, his conscience had actually driven him to a monastery where he hoped some kind of a life of total devotion and radical service would finally bring him peace. Because he just didn't have peace. And despite countless hours in confession, trying to examine and identify every single impure thought or motive in his heart, he still could find no peace. However, one day, Luther was agonizing over Romans chapter 1, verse 17, which says, For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And in that moment, Luther came to understand that passage was not discussing a righteousness that he had to do. It wasn't discussing what he had to do or to earn. In his language, it was an alien righteousness, a righteousness not his own. It was the righteousness of Christ that comes to us through faith. It's as we opened our service this morning singing, For I dare not stand on my righteousness. My every hope rests on what Christ has done, his righteousness. It's not my righteousness. I didn't do it. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's what Christ has done. 
None can work hard enough to become righteous. Every hope rests on Christ's righteousness, on what He's done. And we receive it now through faith alone. And why is that so important for us to remember today, friends? Because if righteousness, if being made right with God does not come through faith, then righteousness, being made right with God, is your job. You need to do it through your works. You need to make yourself righteous by what you do. And the problem is, from practice, you and I know we can't perform well enough or consistently enough to deserve it. As Pastor Eugene Peterson wrote, we can't save ourselves by pulling on our bootstraps, even if the bootstraps are made of the finest religious leather. It doesn't matter how good your religion is, how good your practice is. It's not enough. And friends, what you believe about this will make you who you are. Because if you believe you can or you must make yourself righteous, you're going to live far differently from the person who believes that their hope is not in what they can do, but in what Christ has done. Your belief on this issue will either make you a fearful person or a faithful person. You will either constantly be fearful that you have not done enough and you can't do enough and you're falling short, or you will be a faithful person who throws him or herself upon Christ and what he has done. Your belief will affect your willingness or unwillingness to approach God. Friends, what do you believe about this? Where does your righteousness, your right standing with God come from? Your work or Christ's work on your behalf received by faith. I believe what I believe and it makes me what I am. And friends, what do you believe about this? Salvation comes through faith alone and the next sola is by grace alone. Grace alone is the third of the solas. You see, Luther had been taught his whole life that only those who were doing their very best those who had made the first move could receive God's grace in the sacraments. And it almost made him crazy. He kept wondering, have I done enough to merit God's attention and his favor? Because Luther believed that grace had to be merited, it had to be earned, that he had to do first. But friends, the gospel, the good news is that we don't do first. We can't do first. Christ has done first. Luther and the Reformers discovered that in the, the Scripture, according to many Scriptures, but especially Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, by grace you've been saved, through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It says grace is sovereign, it's independent, it's uncoerced, it's undeserved. We're powerless to manipulate, manage, or merit grace. As we sang this morning, we are saved by grace alone, undeserved yet freely shown. No accomplishment on earth can achieve the second birth. God gives grace, a gift to whom he wishes. We cannot earn, we do not deserve, we only receive the grace through faith. And friends, what you believe about this will affect how you live. It'll affect how you interact with God or others. Because if you believe that you've somehow contributed to your salvation, if you believe that you can contribute to your salvation, if you believe that you've somehow earned a standing or merited or deserve what you have, then you're going to live and pray and act as if God owes you something. You're going to approach God with far less gratitude because really, 
You're just getting that to which you were entitled. Because, you know, you had some part in earning it. But friends, if you think it's a gift, well, that changes everything in your approach to God, doesn't it? Given freely and undeservedly. And more than that, friends, if you believe you contributed your salvation and you earned your standing, then you have every right to look down on those who are not yet saved. You have every right to look down on other people that are not as righteous or right with God as you are. Those who haven't achieved what you've achieved. Because if it's not about grace, friends, you have every right to boast. What you believe about grace will either humble you before God and others, or it's going to elevate you and make you prideful before God and others. So what do you believe? Because I believe what I believe. And it's what makes me what I am. Friends, salvation comes through faith alone, by grace alone, and the fourth sola is in Christ alone. Christ alone is our intermediary. His work is com- complete. It's all sufficient. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. There's no other saviors. There's no other way. We're not helped by saints, Mary, angels, or any other being. We cannot add to or improve upon what Christ has already done to save. The declaration of Christ alone protects us of the danger of Christ plus. Christ plus. I need something more or something different. Or or, or Christ can save plus these other ways can save. And you see, in a pluralistic world, we might be tempted to declare that there's some other way. That there's some other mediator between God and humanity. Jesus plus someone else. Jesus plus some other way. But Christ alone declares Christ is unique, unyielding, distinguished from all the others. The only mediator, the only hope. And apart from Christ, there is no salvation. And that is an offensive, offensive message in today's world. But is it biblical? What does the Scripture teach us? Friends, what you believe about this truth will affect the way you engage the mission of God and the making of the disciples of all the nations. Because if Jesus is just one of many ways to God, then we don't need to worry about making disciples. You don't need to worry about passing the baton of faith because they're going to be fine whatever they believe. Just as long as they believe it sincerely and it makes them happy. just want you to be happy. Friends, if there are other mediators, if there's other ways to God, if there's other ways to be forgiven your sin, if there's other ways to find life and healing, then just live and let live. Because let's be honest, disciple-making, it's a chore. It's risky. It's costly. And frankly, it's offensive to this culture. But church, if we believe Christ alone, if you believe Christ alone, If you believe He is who He said He was in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And if you believe that, then no message is more important. No mission is more urgent. If we believe this, then it is worth giving our all to so that the world might know. What do you believe? Is he, is it Christ alone? Is he the only way? 
And finally, salvation comes through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, and solo deo, soli deo gloria. Glory to God alone. Friends, Christ did not go to the cross for you. Jesus did not go to the cross for you. He went to the cross for the glory of God. He went to the cross for the glory of God. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, verses 8-11, through 11, Being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Christ went to the cross, He didn't go thinking of us above all. Above all other things, He went to the cross thinking of the glory of God the Father. Because friends, it's not about you. Despite what the culture is telling you, it's not about you. And it's not about me. God remains at the center of all things. It's His glory alone. And if we believe salvation is all about me, It's all about me. I'm going to become narcissistic and self-seeking. And in fact, I'm really going to start to be surprised when suffering comes. If salvation's all about me and God doesn't give me every desire of my heart, I'm going to be shocked and angry. If salvation's all about me and then Christ calls me to sacrifice and lay down and follow Him? You know, if salvation's all about me, when things get harder, sacrifice comes, I'm simply going to go, this doesn't work for me anymore. I'm out. But if I believe that it's actually soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone, it's all about God, then I will gladly suffer for the sake of His glory. I will sacrifice for His cause. I will follow Him as hard as the road might be if it brings Him greater glory. If it brings Him glory and honor and praise, I'll do it. Because it's not about me. And my glory, it's about Him. As the Apostle Paul writes, Whether you eat and drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. And this idea, this truth, soli deo gloria, changes our pervasive pervasive distraction culture. I mean, I've gotten in trouble before for saying, but I'll say again, that the greatest danger to the cause of Christ today is not immorality. It's Netflix. We stand in danger of frittering our life away on drivel that doesn't matter. The church is being distracted into ineffectiveness. We're wasting our lives on our own glory, our own comfort, our own convenience, our own pleasure, when the gospel says, no, soli deo gloria, for the glory of God alone. And when we allow ourselves to be distracted into ineffectiveness and coddled into a love of convenience and comfort, we become glory stealers. My life should be spent bringing Him glory. But when I make it about me and not about Him, I steal the glory that rightfully belongs to God alone. The Gospel, friends, do you believe it calls us to live for the glory of God alone? Because if you believe that, That's going to change everything about the way you live, what you do and what you don't do, what you celebrate and what you reject. I believe what I believe 
And it's what makes me what I am. And friends, what is your belief making you? Now, I know this is all a mere flyover to what we believe. But I hope it emphasizes to you the importance of belief. That it's a vital part of your identity. And it's a vital question for you to consider here at the beginning of this year. It's an important, vital question to consider as we talk about our identity as followers of Christ. What you believe is not merely informational, but formational. I did not make it. No, it is making me. So as we begin this new year, and as you consider your identity in Christ, I beg you to take this year to solidify and fortify your answer to this question. What do you believe? And as Paul instructed young Timothy Faithfully continue and persevere in what you believe. Submit it always to the authority of the breathed out word of God. Friends, what do you believe? And who is it making you to become? Let's pray together. Father, help us. Help us in our weakness and our temptation. Even as we sang this morning, in our time of desperation, in our weakness and temptations, help us. Help us to be able to declare forcefully and truly, we believe. May those beliefs form us. May those beliefs send us. May those beliefs propel us to follow and to go and to bring you glory. Glory to you alone, now and forevermore. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In closing.